<clears throat> okay. Mint, mint, mint. Okay. You wouldn't pay $15 for a cold brew, and you'd never spend 250 to see a movie. So why are you paying so much for your cell phone plan? Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for $15 a month. That's Hey, a- Jimmy, honey, do you want pasta? Hey, Mom, I'm recording right now. Cut your wireless bill to $15 a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Hey, Jimbo, I'm going to heat up some pasta just in case, okay? You need your energy. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's Insight Assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. On the show today, we're bringing you an update from Afghanistan. We reached out to Ali Latifi. He's one of Al Jazeera's correspondents in Kabul. He was born there but grew up in California. His family fled to the United States after being jailed and tortured during the Soviet occupation. But in 2011, he returned to Kabul as a reporter. And now it's home. He actually lives just a few kilometers from the Hamid Karzai International Airport, where at least... 19 people have died trying to flee the country. But outside his place, things are far less chaotic. Life on the outside is fairly normal. The banks reopened today. Stores have started to reopen. People are starting to go back about their daily lives as much as possible. But obviously the biggest change is that there's far fewer women out on the streets. It's not to say that there isn't any, but it's just much fewer than it would be on a normal day. You know, the restaurants and cafes and things that we used to go out in and and hang out, you don't see any girls or women anymore. It's all guys. And how are things at the airport now? They're just as bad, if not worse. You know, uh, a week ago, it was people inside the airport compound lying down on the tarmac, trying to, you know, grab onto the wings or the tires of a plane, desperately trying to squeeze themselves onto a plane. But now, because essentially the U.S. won't allow anybody in without proper documentation, um, and the U.S. and the U.K. control the inside of the airport, and what the Taliban and the CIA-backed forces are doing is You know, they're shooting into the air, they're hitting people with pipes. You know, with the main roundabout to the airport, it's this really awful situation where people are trying to run to get as close to the entrance of the airport as they can. And then the Taliban will will shoot into the air or chase after them with these pipes. And then on the backside of the airport, it's uh, the CIA-backed forces who are doing the same exact thing. So really nobody is able 
to get near the airport unless they've gone through a special system where like a car will come and pick you up and deliver you directly or if you can somehow convince either these CIA-backed forces or the Taliban that you have proper documentation. But that's very difficult because they are basically in this mindset of don't let anybody get near. Tell me what life is like if you are one of the lucky few who can actually get into the airport. I haven't been inside. I can only say what people say. Even when you get inside, it's still masses of people being thrown into these resettlement camp type situations. And apparently, again, the U.S. forces are are very abrasive, very harsh, have a very bullying attitude. They've been accused of firing tear gas. They've been accused of, you know, shooting their guns, potentially killing people and Afghan soldiers. So it's not much more hospitable once you make it inside. And even once you make it inside, you know, only recently have they told you if you come, you need to come with the expectation that you need to provide yourself with 48 hours of food and water in case you're stuck there for two days. Because apparently either they have very little food and water or no food and water, depending upon the day and the situation. And this is all a result of this flawed visa system that has been advertised over the last few months by all of these embassies, but implemented terribly. Do we know how many people are in there right now in the airport? I mean, they say thousands, but I don't know exactly how many because there are apparently dozens of flights every day. So that number keeps changing. Outside the airport, I've heard it may be as high as 10 to 15,000 people. Where are they all going? (laughs) That's the question. So some are being sent to Doha, where then they're in some kind of another camp, which I guess is like a processing center. Some, I think they're going to start going to Dubai. Some are being sent to Uganda. There are also reports that some may be sent to Kosovo. Some are being sent to Germany. And then it's not entirely clear that everyone will go to the U.S. or the U.K., for example. There are reports that some may end up in a third country. The president of the United States and the Taliban have this agreement that all of this comes to an end on August 31st. And I think on Tuesday, President Biden reaffirmed this August 31st deadline. The completion by August 31st depends upon the Taliban continuing to cooperate and allow access to the airport for those who were were transporting out and no disruptions to our operations. As far as you know, will everyone around this airport, in this airport that is desperately trying to flee, make it out before August 31st? I think the people in the airport will. I'm almost certain the people outside will not make it. Because there's so many of them, and if they can't even make it inside, who's actually processing their documents? You know, these are just people being forced to squat and squalor and just hope that somebody somewhere takes mercy on them, takes them by the hand, and takes them inside the airport.
The refugee crisis in Afghanistan has been decades in the making. More on that in a moment. Support for this episode comes from Mint Mobile. There's a lot to love about your cell phone. It gets you safely from point A to point B. It can capture some of life's most important memories. Hey, it even does cat memes. But when it comes to your cell phone bill, those warm and fuzzy feelings are nowhere to be found. Enter Mint Mobile. Enter mom. Knock, 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 knock. Honey, Jimbo, I'm coming in. Mom, you can't keep barging into my recording studio like this. (laughs) Honey, recording studio. You mean your bedroom? Oh, Oh, it is a mess in here. Uh, Time for a vacuum. Just quick, quick vacuum. Hey, can you just give me 10 minutes to finish this? What are you doing in here? What is a Mint Mobile? They do cell phone plans for $15 a month. Huh, well, that's too good to be true. I know a scam when I see one, honey. It's not a scam. Look here. Plans come with unlimited talk and text. And high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Oh, oh, that's something. Then I'd have to get a new phone, though, and put all my numbers in there. Uh, That's too much work. Forget it. No, Mom, you can keep your phone and all your contacts with any Mint Mobile plan. It's really easy. Huh. Same number? Yeah, same number. Okay, so I'm just gonna finish this ad now. Pretend I'm not even here. Not even here. You're standing between me and the computer. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required. Equivalent to $15 a month. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Mom, the vacuum! The vacuum! You never call. That's because I live here, Mom. <laughs> Support for Today Explained comes from Indeed. Hiring can be difficult. You can hope and pray and ruminate on how to find the perfect candidate Or you can turn to something more reliable, a smart piece of technology like Indeed's matching engine. According to Indeed, that matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences for job candidates, so it becomes more accurate over time. The more you use it, the better it gets. Indeed also lets you ditch some of the busy work, scheduling, screening, messaging. According to Indeed data, they have over 350 million global monthly visitors. They also did a survey that showed 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Listeners of Today Explained will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Today Explained. You can go to Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Let them know you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Today Explained. Terms and conditions do apply. Need to hire? Asks Indeed. You need Indeed. So, Ali, we established that these Afghan refugees are going to Doha, they're going to Uganda, they're going to Kosovo, but that isn't their final destination, right? Right. So there are people who had, for instance, they were in the process of a visa with the French or the Germans or the British, and they arrive where they're supposed to. Um, Same thing with the Canadians and also the U.S., but the problem is, is you don't necessarily know how long each person will wait wherever they go along the way. You know, for instance, so my friends were going to France. They were in the Kabul airport for, I think, two days. 
Then they went to Abu Zabi, then from Abu Zabi, they went to the south of France, where now they're quarantining for 10 days, and then eventually they're supposed to be sent to Paris. So in theory, people do arrive in whatever location they were promised, but it's a question of how long that processing takes. They'll be, you know, in some other country. Western nations and, you know, countries in the region have been accepting Afghan refugees for decades now. They've also been deporting them. Yeah? Tell me more about that experience. I've been going to Turkey and Greece to look at the situation of Afghan refugees since 2013. Akhtar and some 1,600 Afghan boys and men found themselves living in squalor in this cardboard shanty town in Greece's western port city of Patras. It's never been clear, it's never been good. There were still people going, you know, young boys in Greece going on the back of freezer trucks trying to get to Macedonia and then on to another country trying to reach Germany or France or Italy or um, even somehow the UK. There is concern that the EU is returning asylum seekers to the very instability they fled in the first place. In early October, the bloc reached a deal with Afghan government to deport an unlimited number of the country's asylum seekers. And then we had in 2015-16 where there were literal tour buses that would stop outside the Victoria Square Park in Athens and for, I forget, like 30 euros, 50 euros, take people directly to the Macedonian border. Afghan migrants, however, have breached the fence between Greece and Macedonia. Scores of asylum seekers slipped through a hole into Macedonia. And then starting in 2016, 17, you know, people weren't really allowed to leave Turkey because they would essentially be deported right away. An unceremonious end to what could have been a life-changing trip. The first contingent of deporting hundreds of illegal Afghan migrants started on Sunday. And that's when the deportation flights from Turkey took off. Forming an orderly queue in Erzurum airport in northeastern Turkey, these migrants are transited back to their home country. And in years past, there would be maybe a few, you know, deportees that they would immediately hide in the back of the plane. But in recent years, it's gotten so big that you know, it would be 100, 200 deportees on a flight and they would be sitting, you know, all the way up to the very front rows of the plane. There was even pictures in 2018 or 19 of Afghan deportees sitting business class on flights because the flights were so overbooked that they just wanted to get rid of these Afghan refugees. There are 170,000 Afghan refugees who have registered with the UN in Turkey. It's a new migration way for the Turkish authorities. But Turkey is already hosting at least 3.5 million Syrians and doesn't want another refugee influx. So the situation has never been good. And it's only been recently that, for instance, that EU nations, because of what's been going on with the Taliban takeover, that they've stopped deporting um, Afghan refugees. It's really only been in the last couple of weeks. Before that, they continued to deport under the guise that Kabul is safe. So, paradoxically, what you're saying is this grotesque situation in Afghanistan right now has actually made things somewhat better 
for Afghan refugees? In a way, yes, because, you know, it's been a couple weeks that they can't be deported. Germany and the Netherlands have decided to allow failed Afghan asylum seekers to stay temporarily. German Interior Minister Horst Seehofer said that the move comes in light of Afghanistan's security situation. But that's not a permanent thing because there was other periods, for instance, COVID, where they basically just paused the deportation. They didn't cancel them. So that just meant you could potentially stay in, 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 in Germany or wherever for a little bit longer. So again, that's the question of, you know, is this just another pause? Or is it some kind of like a permanent stay on those pre-existing refugees to not deport them? Ali, I know you're, you're an Afghan national. You're also a U.S. citizen. I mean, what, what's painful watching all of this, it seems like for the whole world, is knowing that it could have been avoided, that these deadlines are kind of arbitrary. This war has been going on for 20 years, and all of a sudden there's this mass rush to evacuate, to wrap things up. I don't think it's all of a sudden. Yeah? I think this is the result of 20 years of a failed, flawed occupation, bad planning, bad policy, corruption, fraud on all sides. This is what it ends up as because 20 years after the U.S. invaded Afghanistan, not only did the Taliban take back power, you know, that the U.S. essentially just handed to them, but they're still considered scary and dangerous enough for people to be willing to sit in dirt and mud and dust and filthy water in the vague hope that they may be able to get on a plane. So if if the 20 years of occupation had worked, why are people so desperate to get out? Why are the Taliban still so powerful that they could take over the country? And why are they still so scary to people if these last 20 years had worked? Are you afraid for what comes next? Yes, everybody is. Because you don't know what comes next. You know, you hope that it at least stays the way it looks on the outside streets right now. Um... And you hope for the best that the Taliban really does create an inclusive government and does include other political figures from the last 20, 30, 40 years of history who, even though they're flawed, at the very least their presence could hopefully mitigate some of their more extreme views. So that's hoping for good or the best. And then the biggest fear is that, you know, once the world's attention turns away in, in, in a couple weeks, that they all of a sudden go back to the way they were in the 90s. You know, the Taliban, we just met with them today. They had, they had a briefing with, with all of these journalists, and they kept saying, oh, we want you guys to feel safe, and we'll give you every opportunity. But that doesn't mean you do feel safe. For instance, today at that meeting, all, all of us journalists, you know, we would say, well, your men at the airport, they're, they're abusive, they're harsh, they, they shoot into the air, they hit people. And they were like, yeah, well, we're trying to control them and they don't know what they... Do you know what? Like, that's not reassuring. How can you not control the people you put out there? And yes, the, the former Afghan police had the same issue, but that's not an excuse. You know, if you are the Islamic Emirate and you're trying to do better than the Islamic Republic, how can you not control your men to, you know, not shoot into the air and not harass people? 
I, I wonder, do you get a sense from the people you've been speaking to in Kabul, even after the havoc that international intervention has wrought in the country, how much people are desperate for the UK, the United States, to remain invested in the future of Afghanistan? That's more a necessity, you know. That's more, A, keep a watch on these guys, and, you know, you're the ones that can hold them accountable. So make sure that you watch out and you really observe everything that they're doing and then throw it back in their face and, you know, make them face some kind of a punishment for it. And B, you know, for years you enabled corrupt politicians, your own forces, your own leaders, your own NGOs were corrupt. At least don't betray us financially. If the IMF, if the World Bank, if the Federal Reserve in the U.S., if they don't reopen access to the assets Afghanistan has around the world or the you know, financial programs it's part of uh, around the world, no one will be able to earn a salary. So again, it's sort of the necessity that occupation creates, right? It makes you beholden to outside powers, even though those outside powers betrayed you. Are you going to stay, Ali? I hope to stay for as long as I can. Um, and I hope the situation doesn't get to a point where I would have to leave. Because, you know, I always say I left once when I was little and it wasn't my choice. And now if I leave, I want it to be my choice for a good reason, not because this group forced me out. Ali Latifi is a correspondent for Al Jazeera English. Our episode today was produced by Halima Shah with help from Jillian Weinberger. I'm Sean Ramos for him. This is Today Explained. Okay, let's see here. I think this plugs in here, and we'll just, whatever, we'll just, okay, record. Okay. Support for this episode of Today Explained came from Mint Mobile. Oh, this isn't so hard. Mint Mobile offers premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month when you purchase three months. That's a good deal. Um, and at Mint, families start at just two lines, unlike other providers who make you buy four or five lines to get the best rate. Goodness me, two lines. And here we are still paying for Jimbo's bill. What are you doing in here? This is my room. Uh, uh, nothing, nothing. I'm doing nothing. Wait a minute. Are you recording? You're, are you uh, recording? Uh, I'm almost done. Just, just let me finish. I'm on a roll. Okay. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash explained. Upfront payment of $45 required, equivalent to $15 a month. Right, that's 15 times three. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Oh, woo! (laughs) Okay, that was actually pretty good.